Hi, this is Tia Sarkar. I play Sabine Wren on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Twin Suns Transmission. Of course, it ends where it becomes a desert planet with twin suns. Hey, my name is Taylor Gray, and I play Ezra Bridger in Star Wars Rebels. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Twin Suns Transmission. Here's where the fun begins. Let's make this epic more interesting. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Twin Suns Transmission. I'm your host, Eric Pfeiffer, joined, as always, by Jesse Sanfilippo. Hey, guys. Welcome to episode 186, and it's a great time to be a Star Wars fan because the show that took the world by storm, The Mandalorian, is finally just about ready to air season two on Disney Plus this upcoming Friday, which is October 30th. So we're going to have a ton to talk about related to The Mandalorian. We'll do a little review of season one, and then uh, we'll maybe make some predictions, answer some questions, talk about what we expect for season two. Before we do that, Jesse, though, there is one piece of news which I'm very excited about. Tales from the Galaxy's Edge now has a release date. It's November 19th of this year, which is very exciting. And this is the new virtual reality game for the Oculus Quest. And in this game, you'll be able to go through Batuu and and uh, run into some familiar characters and, and work your way through all sorts of trouble on, uh, on Batuu, which looks really cool. It does look really cool. It's exciting. I've, I've said this before. It's exciting for people that, you know, our Batu dreams kind of went down the tube for a lot of us with this year in 2020 and everything. So it's cool to get to kind of explore that in VR. And it's just cool because I feel like VR is something like when it came out a long time ago, we got really, really excited. And then like, you know, the technology was just kind of like, it's here. It's, it, it's, it's a thing, but it's not all that cool. And it's not all that you know, the technology wasn't ready yet, I feel right. like, when VR first came out. It was an exciting idea, and then you put on the little, you know, those little Google glasses that everybody had in the beginning, and it was like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. But, like, now we're getting, like, full-fledged games that you can play on VR in your home, which is just something that I feel like it's been a long time coming, and we're going to sound really ancient to our children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when we talk about how we were around when the first VR got invented and they're like living in an entire virtual world. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know uh, Bobby Moynihan plays the bartender, one of the bartenders in this. And, you know, if you probably recognize him from Saturday Night Live, he also played Orca in Star Wars Resistance. So it'll be cool to, to have that sort of comedic inclusion in the VR game, which I'm very excited about. Now, that week, Jesse, in the middle of November, is going to be very busy. Um, that is also the week that we have the uh, Star Wars Lego Holiday Special on the 17th that will air on Disney+. And the week before that, on November 9th, is the final uh, day where I think your payment method is due, or your payment is due for booking the Razorcrest uh, from HasLab. So 
they did announce that uh, if we get, so we hit the, what was it, 11,000? I don't know if it was 11 or 12,000. I think it was 11,000 backers or something, or maybe it was 10, I don't know, for um, getting the child. So we hit that. We are now over 12,000 backers, and we have 15 days, 5 hours, and 17 minutes from right now in order to uh, reach the next threshold, which is 13,000. And if we get to 13,000 backers for this Razor Crest, then we have uh, we get four carbonite slabs to go with it so hopefully we get it that would be just a really cool little feature to have on the inside of that razor crest yeah fingers crossed for all you collectors out there yep (laughs) all right let's begin our talk on the mandalorian jesse now i'm very excited about this so this is you know something that united all sorts of fans, right? I mean, The Mandalorian came before The Rise of Skywalker. It was after The Last Jedi and Solo, which, you know, uh, I feel like divided some fans. I feel like some fans refused to go see Solo in uh, sort of like, you know, what do you call it? Uh, protest or, or mm-hmm. whatever. It- Boycott. Boycott. That's the word. Yeah, They're, they yeah. boycotted Solo because they're they didn't like the way the Last Jedi went or whatever. But I feel like for the most part, when the Mandalorian came out, it united all sorts of fans. It was the the Star Wars thing that that everybody could get on board with, and a lot of that is due to the child, this addition of the child, and and sort of uh, the Mandalorian and their their whole you know, relationship and, and the way that they interact with each other, I think is, is really cool. But, um, it's not only that, it's not just the characters and the writing, it's the music and it's the artwork that we get and everything. It's, it's all kind of put together by people who are, you know, like John Favreau, amazing, uh, established directors and writers and Dave Filoni, who has produced some of the best star Wars over the last decade and a half or whatever it is it was him and now he's he's back for the mandalorian as well so very excited for season two i know it's all just as soon as i sat down to do my rewatch to get ready for this coming week it was like the first 10 seconds of chapter one that i texted you and i was like this is so good like it was like 10 seconds had gone on like i heard the music i saw the first (laughs) couple of like flashes of scene i was like god this is so good like it's every all those little pieces that you just mentioned put together every single solitary detail of the show is just on point it had you know it's the right feel it's the right look and it's something completely new all at the same time so it's just a really exciting and just all around great show that I haven't found anyone that has any complaints about, which is so much more fun to talk about with right. people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My so Amanda and I are doing we did the Star Wars marathon leading up to this season and we we finished season one and so now we're just kind of waiting for season two and we'll we'll watch that as they come out. So our marathon has has stalled and will be stalled for a while, but my parents never finished watching season one, so they've been coming over every week, oh and we've gosh. been knocking out a couple of them at a time, so, you know, the rewatch for us has been 
you know, we've watched every episode a few times through now, which is, you know, you catch little things you didn't notice before and stuff like that. So, you know, it's a, definitely a good, a good uh, lead up to the new season. But let's kind of recap season one a little bit. Not not too long, because I really want to focus on what we expect for season two. But for season one, I don't think anybody expected a Mandalorian warrior, right? This bounty hunter. We know about the the past of the Mandalorians. They're warrior-like people. Uh, we've seen Death Watch. We've seen Pre Vizsla. We've seen Jango Fett and Boba Fett, whether or not they're true Mandalorians, whatever. But we've seen warriors like that, right? And then we get this guy, our protagonist, Din Djarin, and he seems to be different. He's got this sort of uh, empathy for this job, this little asset, you know. And while he's still a warrior, he could still fight and kick people's butts and disintegrates Jawas. Like, you can definitely tell that there's more to him than just being a bounty hunter. Right. He's not like the ruthless... Boba Fett type who gets himself mixed into the wrong things and, and doesn't care that he's doing the wrong thing. He's just in it for the job. He's not that guy. He's a bounty hunter with a heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he finds this child, this 50-year-old asset as a job, and all of these bounty hunters from all over in the guild and, and everywhere are hunting this asset, and he's the one that finds it and gets the Beskar and wins that that contest as season one continues on he you know goes back and saves the child from the client and they're sort of working to protect him uh throughout the rest of season one and so the remnants of the empire are all over the place and we get to see a lot of really cool adventures that the mandalorian goes on with the child uh leading up to a final battle from uh, season one with the Empire and Moff Gideon and the Stormtroopers. So obviously that's, you know, a very fast summary of season one. <laughs> um, but what were some of your kind of favorite parts of, of the first season? Gosh, I, there's just so much. I just, I, well, I think what I love about it is I felt like we were collecting like characters as we went. Like, mm -hmm. okay, how's this person going to be useful? What's, when is this person going to show up again? You know, we had a couple characters that reoccurred, like Cara Dune. We found her, we left her, we got her again. Like, and, and so I feel like looking forward, well, uh, to uh, to go back to what my favorite things probably were. I <laughs> I know I'm like getting ahead because I'm so excited. But like favorite things has to be kind of just the idea that we're kind of figuring out what are Mandalorians at this time. Mm -hmm. And kind of because, like you said, it's we're seeing a different kind of Mandalorian. All of a sudden, we don't take off our helmets. That's this is the way. Um, that's not how we've ever seen Mandalorians before. Maybe you know Empire era Boba Fett. We never saw him with his helmet off. But everyone prior never seemed to have a problem, and now we do. Sabine. Sabine always yep. had it on off. Whatever, no yep. cares. Even all the Death Watch on off. Nobody cares. Um, all of a sudden, we care, and it's a big, big deal. Um, so I feel like we're in a totally new era that we haven't gotten to explore with Mandalorians. It's a totally new time period. We've never gotten to explore what's going on with the Mandalorians. So it's just 
exciting to kind of figure out, you know, what happened? Why are we like this? What, since when are we doing the foundling thing? And, and kind of getting all these little bits and bobs along the way of hearing about the Great Purge and the Night of a Thousand Tears. And it's like, geez, like we knew the Mandalorian has been through some stuff, especially through the Clone Wars. We got a really great look on what what they went through and, and how, you know, they went from peaceful back into a war, basically. And now we just see, they're now they're rare. Now they're like, oh, you don't see a Mandalorian very often. Right. And things like that. It, I think it's the mystery. There's so many parts of this that were my favorite. But I think the biggest thing that's most exciting for me about this new show in season one was that mystery of kind of rediscovering what Mandalorians are now and tr- piecing together, you know, what happened to them and what's made them the way that we see Din Djarin acting as a Mandalorian. Right. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. I think it's it's there's so many mysteries surrounding the Mandalorians and you know their armor and all of that. I mean, we got to see their armor how their armor is constructed, you know, with the Beskar mm-hmm. and stuff. That that was something really cool. You hear about Beskar armor and Sabine. I forged this armor with my family, you know, and yep, like we finally get deal. to see it. Yeah. So I really, I really do enjoy that, and I'm sure as we continue on with the series, we'll get more and more information and and backstory on all that. Um, but for me, I think the greatest part about it was having it connect to everything. So. I mean, you know, when you get to like the sequel trilogy, and this is not a knock on the sequel trilogy whatsoever, but a lot of the newer Disney films, they don't have the same species that we've seen in, you know, the original six Star Wars movies, like the Quarren, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they brought the Quarren back in the first season of The Mandalorian. He gets, you know, chopped off through that door or whatever. Decapitated, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's Which, cool like, to- why was that door so sharp? Like rewatching it again, I was like, "Why is that so sharp?" <laughs> like it didn't yeah. occur to me before, but like, their doors shouldn't be that sharp. It's bound to close on somebody at some Safety point. Safety hazard. Standing in the wrong spot, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I get the galaxy is a big place, but it it feels like Star Wars when every once in a while you have uh, a species that you've seen before. You know, a Rodian or something like that. Right. Just because we see those species a lot through Star Wars and. Uh, going back to Tatooine, going to Mos Eisley, you know, it brings you back. It makes you feel like you're in the same universe. Um, right. If know. there's a diff- it makes a difference between watching, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, and knowing that you're in Star Wars. When you're in a room yeah. full of aliens, there's certain aliens that are present that lets you know you're in Star Wars. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, on the flip side of that coin, the galaxy is a big place. You don't want to see a Quarren every time you turn a corner or a Rodian or whatever. <laughs> like, it's nice to see new species and, and get more, uh, you know, more of an explanation as to what other characters and creatures are out there in the galaxy. But, you know, I think there's a good balance and this show has it. So let's go on to season two. Now, as I was watching season one through again... I tried to write down some of the biggest questions that I have about uh, potential predictions or potential things that could happen in the story, and um, I don't know if you looked at these before, Jesse. I don't know if you saw them before we started recording, but I think even if you didn't, I think it'll be good to kind of get your genuine reaction and answers to these. No, these are things I've been wondering as well, even though I didn't get to read them until just now. I've got similar 
similar questions on my list. <laughs> yeah. So the first one we have on our show notes here for this episode, uh, in episode four of The Mandalorian, we get to see the Mandalorian with the child go to a planet called Sorgan in an attempt to stay away from bounty hunters hunting the child just to sort of be off the grid. Um, and they find this farming village and the Mandalorian meets this widow Omera, who has a daughter named Winta, and Winta is very attached to the child. It seems like a place where the Mandalorian kind of might want to stay at some point. Like, there's there's definitely something there with him and Omera, and she begs him to stay at the end, kind of, you know? She almost took his mask off. He almost let her. Yeah. So, here's the question. They gave us a little bit of, of I don't know wink wink maybe this will happen again type type feeling uh with this girl they gave her a, they gave her a lot of screen time in this episode they made it seem like there could potentially be some future there between the two of them so will we see omera again in season two honestly as much as i would love to you know see that because that would be something that you know seeing dinjarin kind of settle down and you know, go back and actually take the time to have a relationship as much as I would love that for him. I just don't think we're going to get it. <laughs> I don't think, even if it's like out of that context and we just get Omera again, I just don't see a reason for her to show back up in the story when, you know, he's still, you know, trying to seek out the Jedi or the Mandalorians or whoever he needs to in order to save the child and get him into safety. I just don't see her being a big part of that. Um, I, I feel like that could that's like something that maybe he'll, you know, think about from time to time. And maybe, you know, when everything wraps up, I'd love to see like the end, him just kind of going back to her and realizing now he can truly like relax and have a life. Right. But I just don't see a romantic connection for him while all this is kind of going on. Yeah. That was too... She's got a kid, you know, take two children around getting shot at by a bunch of bounty hunters. It'd be a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, though, that if that is, you know, his end, if his end is to end up with Omera, that, I mean, it depends on how many seasons this show is going to go on for. But if that's their right. ultimate plan for him, then they need to sort of sprinkle her in again before right. the end. Or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe at the end, we see him land on Sorgan and she's standing there with her daughter. And that's it. Done. I don't know. I don't know. But um, I'm kind of with you. I think that if they do want that for him, that it's going to have to be after this whole fighting thing is over. And that's sort of, you know, his retirement plan um, is to go be with her. Yeah. And I just think that this like that them showing us that was not so much to necessarily give him a love interest or give him someone to come back to but more just showing that that's something he kind of has a want for even though everything else he does and says shows otherwise he, like you said there was like a feeling when the two of them are together she almost takes off his helmet he thinks about staying talks about staying with Kara. I just think that that moment in that episode was kind of to show us, to give him that choice and to show us that he is choosing 
to continue to, to follow his creed and continuing to um, protect this child and see mm-hmm. that all the way through. And I don't know if her character in that, you know, kind of little scenario there served anything other than, you know, he could settle down. So you think she's to. just not going to be in it at all? I don't think so. That's kind of just my feeling, my gut feeling about it. Yeah. I think that was just a moment of him to, to kind of, he had two paths. Well, she knows how to use a gun. She shot that Relby pretty good. She's I think, self-sufficient. Uh, I'll give her that. She I could th- get in there. Yeah. She really wanted to. <laughs> I hope, we, I hope we see her again, even though we may not. I think she was a cool character, so we'll see. All right, next. So let's talk a little bit about the Darksaber. Now, if you are just into The Mandalorian, you haven't watched The Clone Wars or Rebels or anything like that, you're missing a lot on the history of the Darksaber. Go um, do that before Saturday or Friday. <laughs> Hurry. <laughs> yeah. The Darksaber is a huge part of why I loved the last episode of Season 1. I was not expecting the Darksaber to make an appearance at all. But this Darksaber is a symbol. This Darksaber who holds this item is sort of the, the leader of the Mandalorians. And so we see this in the animated shows and... Typically, you win it from somebody, right? We saw Maul go up against Pre Vizsla with that, and so on and so forth. We see it used quite a few times. The last time, chronologically, that we see the Darksaber prior to this show is in Star Wars Rebels, and Sabine gives it to Bo-Katan. In this series, Moff Gideon has the Darksaber. So, what does this mean? Did Gideon beat Bo-Katan in battle? Did he steal it? How did Gideon get the Darksaber? What do you think? I know. I have, so, I have so, so many questions. Because when you think back to even just the client talking to Mando, there's like a significant conversation he has right before Gideon, you know, betrays him and kills him. He says to to the Mandalorian, why did your people resist the Imperial um, expansion? Everything the Empire touches, you know, it makes it better, whatever. Um, So I just thought that that was a very interesting kind of comment when you think about, you know, what's been going on with Mandalore. So obviously there was this big conflict when the Empire was expanding. Mandalore obviously resisted in some way and didn't want to be a part of the Empire. So that would mean there's this huge clash, right? And, and then Dejarin says that Moff Gideon was a huge part of that. That's why he has the, the records and know his, knows his name. So mm-hmm. I really hope Bo-Katan is alive. But to me, that means that she's either been captured or been killed. Right. Or beaten in some some way. Like, that's like the, the big key to why is everyone the way they are? Why are they all in hiding? Why don't they remove their masks? To me... That answer it held holds in that story of how did Moff Gideon get the dark saber? That has to directly just they, the only thing I could think of is that he that the Empire just totally smashed everything that was left that we knew of Mandalore where we left off with Mandalore, and that's why they're all in hiding. Don't take their masks off. You rarely see them. They're living in the sewers mm-hmm. and taking in you know foundlings, people of other you know races and and things to kind of 
to, to build up the Mandalorian way again. Um, I'm scared for Bo-Katan. <laughs> I feel like she's, I hope she's like in prison somewhere and we could like get her in yeah. the series somehow to like take back Mandalore or something. I don't know. Well, this but is another question too. Nobody saw Gideon with the Darksaber. Right? Like, right. They, they see his ship go crashing down, and then... So the Mandalorian, Din Djarin, did not see that Gideon has this Darksaber. None of the, the other... Saw. Okay, Sorry. the Jawas. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not gonna, like, run up to Din Djarin and be like, look, you know? Like, I, I feel like knowing what the Darksaber symbolizes, how will Mandalorians like Din Djarin react seeing him with it? I know. I feel like even though Din Djarin is obviously not a blood Mandalorian, he knows, you know, be, grow, it seems like growing up a foundling, you get truly trained in all the ways and all the history, I would assume, of what Mandalorians are. And, you know, he talked about how he knew that the that the Jedi were once at war with um, the Mandalorians and and. So that means he like knows that history. So it definitely is going to mean something to him when he sees that. And I feel like that's another point where we could have this like, I think no matter what, he's going to stick with the child. But we could get this like, you know, moment where he realizes that Gideon has the Darksaber and another conflict of interest for him. Where it's like, I've sworn myself to, to rescue this child. And then holy wow. He has the dark saber. He's responsible for everything being the way it is and wanting to fix that. It also seems like the armorer knows a lot about the history and is very well educated on everything related to Mandalore and Mandalorians. So I wonder if we get her in season two, what her reaction would be to Gideon having the dark saber. It's possible right. she, maybe she already knows. Yeah, I mean, they have to know that it's missing, right? Like, that's something that you would know if you had, you know, an ultimate Mandalorian, you know, leader, whether you're all on the same planet or not. That would be something that I feel like would, they seem so on the same page. I know we've really only seen this, like, one subset of what Mandalorians are right now, which is the, the, the what does he call them not a clan the covert the covert that his one covert is really all we've seen so who knows if it looks different kind of spread out across the galaxy but you would think that they would they would know if somebody had that or if it was lost right it'll definitely be interesting to see i'm very fascinated by the dark saber i think it's such a cool looking weapon and i'm excited to see it utilized more in live action you know yeah we haven't really seen it much. I know. I just, I love the way they, it just looks so cool. Because that would be such a hard thing to do is take something that's, you know, animated and create a real life version of that that looks like it fits. Yeah. And it's just something so magical about it when he pulls it out and he's holding it and you're just watching the way the, the blackness kind of glows. It's really cool. I do. I want to see it in action really bad. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling we, we will not be robbed of that. I think we'll definitely no. get that. All right, I'm going to skip down a couple and do this one first because I think it'll transition better this way. But 
in episode five, I believe it's called Gunslinger, we see the Mandalorian go to Mos Eisley, go to Tatooine. Uh, his ship gets damaged, and he has to get he has to go there and get repairs. And while he's there, he works on a bounty hunting job with Toro Calican, going out and hunting down Fennec Shand, who is supposed to be Toro's ticket into the Bounty Hunters Guild. Now, during this, things go crazy. Toro shoots Fennec Shan. She falls down on the ground. And at the end of this episode, we see a being in the night walk towards her. And the episode ends. And for the rest of the series, the rest of the season, there's nothing else to be said about this scene. So I think there's more to what happened there, obviously. Because that's a really kind of just random thing to show if there's not a not a purpose behind it a lot of people were thinking jesse that this could be boba fett because of the sound of walking the spurs it sounds like spurs but i will say this during my rewatch when the mandalorian walks you hear that same sound do you that's a question i had yes so he has the same sound and you don't always hear it, but when it's a, if he's obviously running, you're not going to hear it if there's explosions and things, but like if he's just walking and for the most part, there's not a lot of music or whatever, you can definitely 100% hear the spur sound when Din Djarin walks. Um, okay. But here's another thing I noticed when the person bends down to look at Fennec Shand, the boots do not look like the Mandalorian's boots. He's got that ring of, like, ammo, I believe, uh, kind of surrounding mm-hmm. the top part of his boot. Um, and I don't, we don't see that on this figure that bends down. So at one point I was thinking, could it be Din Djarin that after he flew out of his, you know, Docking Bay 35 or wherever he was, did he go back to where Fennec Shand was to get her? Or is this somebody that was also kind of waiting for that bounty? Or is it Boba Fett? What What is it? Who is it? Uh, yeah, you know, I I remember I remember this. I remember being so excited for this because I love making a when. So I was really excited for Fennec Shan. So when, you know, mm-hmm. she obviously gets shot, that was disappointing. So I remember being so <laughs> excited seeing somebody, like, go back for her. And my initial... Um, my initial reaction to that image, like you said, was, oh, the Mandalorian went back to her. Like, Mm -hmm. it looks very Mandalorian from, you know, the knee down. (laughs) Yeah. And the cape and everything. And so that was my initial thought. And then when we podcasted after that episode, I remembered you saying the Boba Fett Fett thing. And I was like, oh, I don't personally remember what it sounds like when Boba Fett walks. So I'll take everybody's word for it. (laughs) Um, But then today, because I remembered, you know, that, and I, I had never gone back and, like, listened to the sounds now that's kind of feels a little bit debunked knowing that that's how the mandalorian sounds when he walks too but like i did i I went back to empire and i listened to how boba fett walks yeah (laughs) and then i immediately went back and listened to that spot and i was like convinced i was like it is it's boba fett yeah but like i still think even though the mando sounds like that i'm gonna go ahead and my prediction is gonna be that it is boba fett because we're on tatooine in that Mm -hmm. episode yes yep so i mean that's, you know, a really great spot to climb out of a Sarlacc pit. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's where we left him. 
So that would be a really cool place for him to resurface. Why is he still there? Did he just climb out? I don't know, but I want it to be Boba. You do want it to be Boba. I do, especially it's just like another, you know, big bounty hunter who's mixed up with the Huts, Fennec Shand. It would make sense for him to be going to get her and not, you know, going to get her to like turn her in like everybody else was, but to like team up. Yeah. You know? Do you think that bringing Boba Fett into a show like this would kind of outshine the Mandalorian himself? Or do you think it would be too much fan service? Or do you think that they would actually have a good role while also keeping Din Djarin as the main character, as the focus? Is that something that they could do? You know, I think... I I, I do agree that Din that. Din Djarin needs to stay the focus. And while we keep speculating and hoping for all these other really, really cool popular characters, I think it's inevitable that they start to filter their way in. Um, especially because we have so many characters of the, the Mandalorian um, who are mixed in with the Mandalorian story in some shape or form that all got left on cliffhangers, like Sabine Wren, cliffhanger. Yeah. Um, Ahsoka has you know a lot to do with Mandalore cliffhanger like uh, it's we don't really know like everybody's we all we know everybody's alive but we don't know what they're doing boba fett we thought was dead that it was just would be cool to to bring those people in and i i don't i don't like the word fan service very much because i, I guess if you do it it's the true definition of fan service is if you do it just because you want people to be excited and it doesn't mix in with the story then that sucks. But it's Dave Filoni. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I don't think we have to worry about that. I don't think he's going to allow Boba to just come in and take over or even Ahsoka to just come in and it become the Ahsoka show. Like, I think these people, in, in unraveling the mystery of what happened to Mandalore, and we even have in the most recent teaser, because um, the first teaser trailer they showed us, he was talking a lot about, I have to find the Jedi. I have to reunite the child with his kind. And then the next trailer, he's like, I need to find more Mandalorians and they can help guide me. That just, yeah. that's like, if I don't see Boba Fett, Sabine, and, <laughs> and Bo-Katan, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh man. So it just would, I just think it's a, I, I'm not going to really lose it, but I just think it would make sense and it wouldn't necessarily be fan service un, unless it, you know, Din Djarin, you know, died and now we just have like Bo Katan, Sabine, and Boba Fett, you know, with a child on their shoulders. That's not going to happen, you know? Yeah. It makes sense for them to pop up and, and be in and out here and there, though, I think. Yeah. Well, here's one thing I was wondering, too, is I know that with the streaming services, they can kind of add things in wherever they want and do whatever they want. You know, we've seen it with McClunky, with uh, with um, uh, Greedo in episode four. Right. That wasn't in any other version of the film. That was what they added for the Disney Plus to A New Hope. Now, with this, they could do whatever they want. They could have added that sound in for the Mandalorian walking after a bunch of people were like oh my god it's boba fett because to i mean it could have been there from the very first time the mandalorian aired i'm not saying it wasn't don't remember hearing that sound in other episodes when the mandalorian walked personally Mm. i wasn't paying attention for it like i was this time so it's very possible it could have been there and i just did not comprehend it you know 
but I don't it's know. Also, typically when the Mandalorian's walking, it's it's very rarely that he's just like chilling and walking, except for maybe in like the the Suga episode with yeah. the mud horn. Like that's maybe the like loneliest walk he's done, yeah. where we might have been able to hear that initially and not notice. Other times he's walking, he's either flying a ship or he's kicking butt. Yeah. So it'd be a hard sound to isolate most of the time. <laughs> well, it like I said, it's not every single time he walks, but it's a lot of times you can hear you can hear it. It's definitely there. It's the sound of Mandalorian armor, I guess. Yeah. Well, I would not be upset if Boba Fett returned. Um, in Legends, Boba Fett is helped out of the Sarlacc pit by Dengar, who was also at Jabba's palace in Return of the Jedi. You can see him in the film multiple times. You can see him standing around there. Uh, so it's possible that they continued on with that part of Legends and had Dengar help Boba Fett out of the Sarlacc pit, and now he's going to be here. Or maybe Boba Fett just got out on his own. I don't know. And we know, too, that that's the way, like, of Dave Filoni. Like, he, like, when the Disney takeover came by and everybody was really nervous about Legends, and to be fair, I didn't know anything about Legends prior to when I truly became a huge Star Wars fan. I don't have a lot of reference and a lot of attachment, but from what I hear every time, you know, we get new stuff, and especially talking to you when new things arise, is a lot of the stuff that Dave Filoni has done has been pulled from Legends. He, it didn't just get erased. It's just right. been slowly being reintroduced to us. So something little like that, it makes sense that that's like something that they could easily keep as canon yep. when you see Boba Fett again. Yeah, definitely. I, I would not be shocked if it happens. And I would not be upset either, so... And if it's totally something different, that's cool too. I'm I'm just here for the ride because I'm I think it's a great show, so I'm looking forward to it. But we talked a little bit about the potential of Boba Fett coming back for Fennec Shand or being in the show, you know, just as a whole. But we have had some other whispers of returning characters coming back to this season. I know that some well-known and credible uh, news sources have talked about Ahsoka being in it with uh, Rosario Dawson playing Ahsoka. Uh, nothing has been said in any StarWars.com or by anyone from Lucasfilm, to my knowledge, about Ahsoka, Boba Fett, Captain Rex, uh, Tamora Morrison. Again, we don't go on DB, real IMDb really, but I'm sure... I don't know if they can put everything on there if it hasn't been confirmed, or maybe I think they have the little rumored parentheses, maybe, if it's just a rumor. I don't mm. know. I, I don't know how what the logistics are for that, but it would be interesting if Ahsoka really did return here, and maybe Captain Rex or, or Boba Fett or Sabine. Um, it would be interesting to see some of these well-known characters kind of make a return appearance. I think that'd be cool. It just feels like a really good spot to segue animated characters, especially, into live action in like a TV show that literally everyone's watching right now. People who aren't even big Star Wars fans are watching this show right now. So if you ever want a live action like Ahsoka movie, like what so many people have been, you know, begging for, this would be a really good spot to say, hey, there's this really cool character that all y'all who haven't watched The Clone Wars really need to go check out so that you could be really excited for a big blockbuster movie about her. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. just me. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I still don't know if they'll make an Ahsoka movie, but if they do, this is a great way to introduce that character to people, you know? Um, I think more and more, and I like I said, I work at a collectible store, and mm-hmm. we have Ahsoka product in there, and people know that character. People know who she is. It's not like they walk in yep. and they're like, who's that? Like, they know Ahsoka Tano. So I feel like that has changed so much in yeah. recent years too. Like where people would ask me who my favorite Star Wars character was, I would say Ahsoka, and a lot of people would have to be like, "Oh, she's a character in Clone Wars, blah blah blah." But then, like, I literally went to go do like a curbside pickup at my local brewery, and I was wearing my new Ahsoka dress, and this guy, like, I got out of my car, and he was like, "That's Ahsoka. You're wearing an Ahsoka dress." <laughs> I was like, "Heck yeah!" <laughs> like, yeah nice. <laughs> like it's really it is a lot more. She is like Clone Wars and everything. A lot more people are watching it. Maybe it was a quarantine thing, and you know, like the Avatar: The Last Airbender has been out forever, and people like a huge surge of people, including myself, had watched it for the first time over quarantine. So hopefully, that gave everybody some time who hadn't already caught up with the Clone Wars and with Rebels and things, and be ready for all these characters to kind of start coming out in more mainstream stuff. Because Soka, especially, I feel like with everything to do with I'm sorry if I'm boring everyone because I say the same thing a lot when I'm talking about why Ahsoka should get to come back in these podcasts, but it just makes so much sense for everything we've seen of her with, you know, go find Ezra, Hadala Fardy in the, the novels and her just kind of proclaiming that she wants, even your holocron that you showed the other day on one of your how's your star wars where she talks about finding like four sensitive children who've been left behind like that's just something that's been in my head for a long time of a perfect thing for ahsoka to be doing it's a it's a huge interest of hers and it's something that keeps coming up for her and her storyline is coming up with these finding these four sensitive children in this time when there's no one to lead them and now we have the child who's the Mm -hmm. super, super powerful Force-sensitive being that is crazy important to these old Imperial people for some reason. It just blows my mind that if if that's where we've been led to to what her storyline has led up to until now, it just would make so much sense for me for her to have a hand in this kid's journey at some point. Well, I tell you what. Especially if, when that's if, what we're doing now. We're looking for his kind. Right. He's his kind. Yeah. If they bring Ahsoka and Boba Fett into season two, they better do it in a way where Din Djarin is still the focus. You know, we talked a little bit about that before, but yeah. this is his show. If they have Boba Fett and Ahsoka in here, that's two major popular characters that will steal the show if not done in a right way so i think if we do get ahsoka she'll be in like dave filoni likes to make us wait she'll be in like at toward the end or something you know yeah because he he's done this already with rebels because you know ahsoka was already hugely popular as a character in rebels yeah um before rebels i mean and and she shows up in rebels but she doesn't take over rebels like she's not rebels those might be some of my absolute favorite episodes of rebels because i love (laughs) her so much but it's still very much the ghost crew is the main part even when rex shows up Mm -hmm. you know it's 
it's still they're there and it's awesome because they do have you know very big roles in it but they still somehow did that without allowing those old beloved characters to take over the ghost crew as the main um as the main story plot and they did a really good job of that so i don't doubt that they could do that again with the mandalorian yeah It'll be interesting to see what we get, um, especially with some potential popular characters returning. Um, But we've gone through almost an entire podcast uh, talking about what we're expecting for season two, and we very rarely have mentioned the child. And I feel like that is something that cannot be done. So let's talk a little bit about the child and what we know of uh, the mission for season two. So we talked a little bit about the Mandalorian and his his duty in this season will likely be trying to reunite the child with his own kind, force users, species, whatever. But throughout this, he's going to have to protect the child from the Empire, protect the child from the bounty hunters, and also potentially meet up with other Mandalorians. Um, do you think that reuniting the child with his own kind is something that will get resolved in this season? And if so, what does that mean for future seasons? Right? Because it's almost like a Han and Chewbacca feeling to me where you have the Mandalorian and the child. They're together. They're a pair. Right. I totally agree. They're a duo. They are the show. And I personally, at this time don't want a show without when it comes to the Mandalorian without both of them in it um I have no interest in in that so (laughs) (laughs) so I I don't think that will that he'll you know hand him off at the end of season two especially knowing that season three is already in the works Mm -hmm. um so we have at least three seasons it doesn't make any sense for me because Din Djarin without the child was a bounty hunter Mm -hmm. just a bounty hunter and so we'd go back to a show about a really cool bounty hunter and just like a cool like western where every week we like catch another guy but like that i just don't think is what they were going for with this show so i don't think we'll we'll find as easy of a solution um for him i i think it'll be cool to kind of start to like touch upon what's going on with the jedi right now because we know that you know this is right after the original trilogy so we know that luke you know is out there right now we know he makes you know his own jedi order um you know in in time here and that's something that he's on track for so there's this weird interesting time in both the lives of the jedi every there's there's definitely others you know out there who are force sensitive who are young who need to be found by luke or ahsoka or whoever so I, I just, it, I think it, I think we're going to see something that's similar to the way the Mandalorians are right now. Everything's scattered. Everybody's kind of in hiding. We're kind of coming out of hiding. We're kind of unwrapping a mystery. And I think that is going to be the same thing with kind of what's going on with the Jedi right now. Um, so he might, you know, start seeing people, finding some, some people who, you know, know something about the Jedi. But I doubt he's just going to, like find a little secret Jedi order and be like here and then walk away and move on. Right. Um, I just don't think it's going to be that simple. So I feel like it'll take, I feel like that will be however many seasons the show is. It that's how long it will take to get this kid where he's supposed to be, or maybe he's just supposed to live his life with Mando. Cause Mando's supposed to be like his dad now. Yeah. That's what the armor is. Like. 
<laughs> Clan of two. Clan of two. Until and she says, until it is of age or reunited with its own kind, you are as its father. So it would be kind of cool. I mean, we have no idea what of age would be for a fifty-year-old right. Yoda. So maybe Amanda will die before he becomes like of age. But so he he has to be reunited somehow. And I also kind of hope that on top of this, that we get some kind of insight into the Yoda species mm-hmm. where we kind of, maybe we find the Jedi and the Jedi are like, no, let's find the Yoda people. Yeah. That'd be like, awesome. That would be so cool. Like all these cool mystery characters in this weird time that it's relatively unknown and unexplored in recent, you know, mainstream star Wars. That just all seems like things that I would be very interested in, and that could take uh, many seasons to fully unwrap. Yeah. I think that you are onto something there. I think if if you are going to have this show, you need to have the Mandalorian and the child kind of working together on missions together, Mando protecting the child, the child protecting Mando, and, you know, have that great sort of rapport that they have. Um, and it could be kind of like the whole series leads up to, you know, the child being reunited with his kind. Maybe that is the point of the show is to have that be kind of like the, the climax and, and, uh, you know, the point. So it'll be interesting to see one thing just to close out here, um, that I've been asking people only just kind of as a joke. And obviously I don't want this to happen, (laughs) But uh, in season one, we see the child get dropped and punched pretty hard a few times. And I feel like a lot of people really freaked out over that. Amanda, I remember her screaming when we first watched that. Do you think that they're going to, like, continue to physically (laughs) punch this child? I really (laughs) hope not. Because it's, like, deeply unsettling. Because, you know, it's like they really, especially, like, the Empire and all the bad guys really dehumanize him. You know, throughout the whole first season, everyone who, even Din Djarin in the beginning, they all refer to him as, like, an it. Mm -hmm. um, A thing. He's, it's gonna eat me. Like, it's, he really gets dehumanized at first. But I feel like as, you know, the show goes on, you know, we're only gonna fall more in love with him. All these characters are only gonna fall more in love with him. And I, gosh, I just, I think they just need to stop that. Because it is, it's like, I don't know. It's just, (laughs) that's like, that might be like my one complaint, actually, that I have for the show. Like, you wouldn't do that with, like, a little human baby. Like, they wouldn't do that. A scout trooper might. I don't know. To a little human baby. Like, could you imagine little Luke Skywalker getting passed off from Padme and then, like, Yoda runs into a stormtrooper or a a clone trooper and just like little luke skywalker gets punched in the face like that would never (laughs) but i think the scout troopers think it's like an animal they're like what is that thing like they don't i don't think they realize that it's like a sentient being they probably think it's like a yoda is such like a rare species but still we don't don't hit things (laughs) pets even if we think it's a pet we don't hit pets i don't know i'm not about it i do i think that since that is kind of like a thing that we're doing in this, um, we also we also have gotten to see you know that the child can defend himself and defend yeah. his Mando. So hopefully, like I can kind of see that being like a thing that starts to happen where somebody like raises his fist to him and then he just like force chokes the guy to death and it's like yeah, nobody's pushing me around no more. 
<laughs> yeah, that would be that would be awesome. Do not right. want to see it. Well, I have to say, Jesse, it's been a lot of fun to kind of kind of make our little predictions and talk about the future of this show um with it being so close now it starts to feel real and to 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 be honest i mean there's no new star wars movie this year and this is kind of like the biggest star wars thing of the year for a lot of us and so um to me this podcast kind of kicked off my excitement uh for (laughs) the next season so it's only a few days away October 30th, which is a Friday, and then every Friday after that for eight weeks, we will have new episodes of The Mandalorian. So if you guys have any thoughts on what's going on or what you think will happen, again, we don't do spoilers on here, uh, so if if you've stayed spoiler-free and have uh, some thoughts that you'd like to share with us on what you think is going to happen in the next season... Please let us know on social media. We'd love to hear from you. Jesse, if people would like to share their thoughts with us, where can they find us on social media? You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, all under the same handle at Twin Sons Outpost. All right. And if you're looking for places to listen to our show, you can find us on our website, which is www.twinsonsoutpost.com. Click on the podcast tab on the left hand side, you'll find all of our episodes there you can also find us on the star wars podcast app through the google play store and on itunes and if you enjoyed this episode and you think we're pretty wizard go ahead and give us a good review wherever you listen to podcasts thank you so much everyone for listening to episode 186 where we talked all about the mandalorian and as we continue on throughout the end of the year for twin suns transmission we're going to be talking all about the Mandalorian, and we are going to be having a special show in November on the holiday special. Woo! <laughs> so that'll that'll definitely be an interesting one. Uh, so don't miss that one. But uh, again, thanks so much, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next week. And as always, may the Force be with you. Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall, Harrison Dula from Star Wars Rebels. You've been listening to Twin Suns Transmission, an exciting show where sand gets everywhere. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Twin Suns Podcast Network. May the Force be with you, always. Airmaster Tatooine. It's controlled by the hut. rendezvous point on Halloween. This time you are not a to me, I think.